This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. Okay, this is Tony Prescott um, for the BCBT 2011 Summer School. And uh, I'm talking to Federico Carpi from University of Pisa Research Center, Enrico Piaggio. Hello. So Federico, uh, this morning you gave us a really interesting talk about the next generation or what might be the next generation of actuators for robots and many other applications. So before you tell me what these new actuators are like, can you explain why do we need new actuators? What's wrong with the tiny little uh, motors that we've got already? Yeah, there are a lot of, let's say, problems that must be overcome with traditional actuation technologies. Uh, one of them certainly uh, deals with the fact that they use stiff material, mostly metal. And uh, so this means that they are using some uh, constitutive material that are actually very, very far from the natural tissue that our bodies are made of. So we are talking about some stiff uh, components as compared to soft tissue that makes our, our bodies. And this is particularly important because, and this aspect I would say has been completely neglected so far, attention has been paid only, made only on, 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 the, on the psychological aspect on one hand and the mm, neurophysiological aspect of uh, replacing uh, men, uh, human-like machines, but the body itself is a really, uh, is really, really important. And another aspect, uh, for instance, concerned um, more technical issue like uh, acoustic noise that traditional motors uh, generate, uh, that is not, which is not uh, something um, really pleasant for users, especially when we uh, consider technologies or systems that are, have to work in close uh, contact with humans, for instance, rehabilitation system like orthotics or prosthetics. And there are, there are also other issues, for instance, uh, power consumption, energy consumption. Um, basically, electric motors are really demanding in terms of energy consumption, uh, which make this aspect uh, challenging for uh, if we consider portable application, for instance, so in terms of uh, autonomy of the robot. Um, so these uh, and other issues uh, suggest that we should look for uh, some alternative technologies um, ba based on uh, materials that are inherently capable of exhibiting uh, a sort of any kind of response, useful response to a suitable electrical stimulus. In particular, we are looking for materials that are able to deform or change shape according to uh, an electrical stimulus. So we are looking for so-called electromechanically active materials. So these would be uh, in some way more similar to a sort of animal actuators or muscles. Exactly. I mean, what are the, the nice properties of animal muscles that you think we want to yeah. try and copy? For sure, we are looking for materials that uh, should be able to exhibit both strain and stress, active strain and active stress capabilities, as I said, in response to an electrical uh, stimulation. 
and uh, for sure we are also looking for uh, a combination of actuation and sensing these two features should be integrated in the same material so in this respect we the, these smart materials should be able to uh, self sense their own uh, state mechanical state in terms of for instance of uh, deformation so we are hoping opening here um, a different paradigm with respect to to the state of the art nowadays we use actuators and sensors uh, typically as different components in a robot and the two components should um, are of course uh, interplay and of course uh, are part of the same system but in any case they are different devices uh, with working with different principles of operation and uh, frequently they are also um, arranged in different position a different location of the robots uh, on the other hand in the human being or in general in the animals uh, the device let's call it let's call it like this the device itself is both an actuator and a sensor our muscle inherently have the cap sensing capabilities so it's the material it's the tissue itself that work both as an actuator and as a sensor so the so the our muscles are made up of of cells and each of those is in sure. itself very complicated. Oh yeah. So how can we uh, use materials yeah. to build something with Well the idea of course is not capacities. to replicate the cellular structure yeah. of the of the natural tissue but the idea is to um, uh, replace sorry to replicate the um, functional properties so in terms of actuation and sensing. Um, for this respect, uh, from this respect, uh, the so-called electromechanically active polymers um, seems to be really, really interesting. And uh, there's a lot of competence in Europe on that. So for somebody who's not a chemist, what's an, yeah. e what's an electrically active polymer? Yeah. So they are just a piece of matter, a polymer, uh, um, can be of different types of uh, synthetic uh, form mm, one of the most uh, useful nowadays consists of so-called dielectrical isomers Strict strictly speaking just a piece of insulating rubber nothing more like a piece of silicon uh, which is an electrical insulator which can be deformed as soon as it is charged properly from an electrical point of view and uh, we can enter, if you wish, the physical principle. I will try to, to explain it in simple words. I Basically, think if you could explain very briefly how yeah. passing current through a piece of yeah. rubber can make Well, it actually, it is not really uh, a matter of passing current right. because uh, the principle is just an electrostatic effect. So in, in simple words, you have a layer of an insulating elastomer, as I said, a piece of silicon, for instance, and you cover this layer on the, the main surfaces with two electrodes and these elect electrodes should be compliant so deformable and in this way you have a capacitor what the engineer called a capacitor an electrical capacitor as soon as you charge this capacitor electrically uh, the the charges on the electrodes basically interact according to a simple electrostatic effect so Coulombian forces so basically the plus and the minus attract each other and the charges of the same sign repel on the electrons. This effect combined together um, squeeze the 
layer, the insulating layer between the two electrodes. So we have, practically speaking, really a compression of the material. And since these elastomers are, um, have a constant volume, the compression along the thickness is parallel to a surface expansion because the volume should be constant. In this way, we achieve a significant actuation, so a significant deformation of this capacitor as soon as it is charged. So the, the principle of operation is extremely simple, a purely electrostatic effect, which is known as Maxwell stress effect. It is not a piezoelectric effect, I want to, I want to remark, it is different. So the, the principle is that we, we're using this electric field to squeeze a piece exactly. of, of rubber. Exactly. Okay, and then exactly. how can we use that as an actuator to move things? Yeah, so this is the physical principle. Then we can build an actuator by changing, by opportunely designing the shape, what we call the configuration of the device. For instance, a simple piece of rubber with planar shape is a very elementary actuator, but it is useful for, for, many, for many tasks. Then if we, for instance, if we stack in a sort of pile multiple layers, one on the top of each other or the other, um, we achieve actually a pile, a stack, and uh, this is very useful, for instance, to have larger deformations because each layer will contract and the wool pile, the wool stack, of course, will contract accordingly, but you achieve a higher absolute contraction of course because simply because we have a, uh, a taller uh, uh, a bigger pile um, that's it this is uh, what we call uh, stacked actuators for instance but there there is really a plenty of uh, different configuration available nowadays many many groups have demonstrated a lot of them including our group in pisa and for instance we we, these include a linear actuator or membrane-like actuator, bubble-like actuator, really, really uh, any kind of configuration. The, the limitations are mostly in, in our imagination, I would say. This technology, this is really interesting, an interesting point. This technology is highly versatile, right. scalable, and uh, is really suited to... Uh, be shaped according to the need of the specific application. So I can see how y you can get this thing to deform and therefore yes. actuate. Yes. But how can it be intrinsically sensing? Yeah. You can use uh, their sensing capabilities in two respects. Uh, one is the so-called piezo-capacitive effect. So basically, as we said, the device is a deformable capacitor. So if you read the capacitance, the electrical capacitance of the device while it is undergoing the deformation, you have a signal which is correlated to the deformation itself. So by reading the variation of the capacitance, you, you have an information on the deformation state of your device continuously. So the actuator is both an actuator but also a piezo-capacitive sensor. Uh, you could also exploit another concept, another principle, which is the piezo-resistive effect. So in this case, if you read, you need to read a resistance, a variable resistance, like a, any conventional strain gauge that it is used everywhere in, in uh, industrial products. 
Um, in this case, as I said, you have to read a, a resistance, which can be either the resistance of one of the two electrodes or of the resistance of an additional layer, conductive layer, that you integrate in your device. It is very, very easy, very easy to, to achieve a sensing scene. And this is extremely uh, stimulating because, as I said, in this way we achieve an integrated sensor and actuator all in one. And this is, from a functional point of view, very similar to uh, what is available in our natural tissue. So we can build these uh, quite compact devices that can yes. actuate and sense. Definitely. But Definitely. so what's the drawback? Because why aren't we putting them into all our machines now? Yeah. There, there's still well, some problems to solve. Sure. As usual, there are advantages and the disadvantages. Um, for instance, you said properly that you can achieve very compact structure. That's why the first product, which has been launched this year, uh, with a huge uh, expected uh, commercial impact, is a product for um, consumer electronics. Maybe I cannot say here the specific company, because can I say my I love? think you can. Yeah, we can edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but by the way, it is a big, it's a big company. Uh, which sells um, consumer electronics like cell phone. And uh, in this case, uh, this company has replaced this, uh, the electrical motors that are used to provide vibration to the mobile unit with um, these material, electromechanically active polymers, in particular dielectric elastomer actuators. And they have produced these actuators as thin films, very, very thin, so this is very... Um, appealing in order to integrate them in a, in a, in a thin portable uh, device like a cell phone. And these devices so are very thin, very compact, they are very lightweight, and they consume uh, very low power because they are capacitor, electrical capacitor, so th they do not need to be driven with high current. That's a great advantage in order to save uh, energy. So in order to enable a really portable application with low power consumption. So to say to get a vibration out of this sheet, yes. what are you doing to the current in order to generate the vibration? Oh, yes. You, you have a, a, vi um, a sinusoidal voltage, for instance. You know? So you charge and discharge your device. So it's very straightforward from the current sure. that you supply to the, to sure. the behavior that you get. Sure. Sure. There's a specific relation, which is not linear, but it is specific. It is a quadratic response. I mean, the, the stress that you can generate in this material is proportional to the square of the electric field. So the electric pulses that we use when we move our muscles, can, can we use those similar kinds of pulses to drive these sorts of materials? Yes, we can, but it really depends uh, on the application if it is useful or not. So for instance, we have a the medical most application. For yeah, instance. for instance, we have demonstrated, but it is a very simple experiment that you can drive this material with electromyography. That's very easy, like any other actuator. So that's not a uh, critical point today. So this would be where you would record um, signals directly off of somebody's muscles. Right. You record right. signal from your muscle, from 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 the patient. And let's imagine, for instance, the need for a, for a prosthesis, uh, which is equipped, we should be equipped with actuators in order to be an active prosthesis. And you have to control the device, possibly using the, the um, physiological signal 
captured from from the patient himself so in this case you capture uh, muscular activity from any part of the body for instance if we are talking about a prosthetic hand maybe from the forearm and you capture this uh, this uh, electrophysiological signal and with, with a very simple elaboration in real time you can drive your actuator in order to perform a specific task this is feasible also with other actuation technologies i i don't see any difference with other technologies from this respect we have in any case we have uh, confirmed that even using electroactive polymer this can be done and this is important of course but you you think there's some particular areas uh, where this technology might be much better some definitely from there are at least four uh, emerging areas where this technology shows a great potential over any other attuation technologies available today the first area is mechatronics and in particular variable stiffness devices uh, for instance in the bi biomedical field we are talking about variable stiffness um, system for rehabilitation uh, we have we are developing a so-called hand splint orthosis in order to perform um, customized um, rehabilitation of the hand for post-stroke patients so this is a big field of uh, of interest so an orthosis is a support for the hand while it's healing right it is right. a support and uh, in this case uh, the hand orthosis are called splint hand splint basically they are used to uh, they are dynamic um, that dynamic devices in the sense that they are equipped with elastic bands or springs in order to allow the patient to voluntarily move his fingers against uh, definite loads provide counter loads provided by the springs or the elastic bands in order to perform an exercise of their fingers um, for instance for this application we are developing an active version of this passive uh, system of the state of the art by replacing the springs or the elastic band with these elastic actuators so uh, the future splint will not be equipped anymore with passive springs or plastic band but will have active bands active in the sense that uh, by using an electrical control you can modulate the stiffness of your band so you can modulate the compliance and so the patient can really perform um, a customized training against controllable loads so the load is no more predefined a priori but can be uh, adapted uh, in progress to the specific need of the of the patient and this is important so i can you explain a bit how you can vary the stiffness so i can see that yes uh, when you take this uh, polymer yeah. and you apply the current you can change the shape but yeah but how do you change the stiffness uh, to it depends on how level. you basically the specific constraint that you how you use your material and your device in general it, it is a, a little bit technical this part maybe <laughs> it okay. is difficult but, but the it, question would be uh, yeah um can you choose uh, any level of force and at any level of stiffness or is there some relationship that um, between those two we things? have demonstrated 
but this had been anticipated also by theoretical uh, calculation. We have demonstrated experimentally that you can really control the stiffness. So no, no more a simple position or uh, force control, but a real stiffness control. You can really control the stiffness, which is basically the slope of the force versus the displacement. At least the what we call the static stiffness. And this can be done, we have demonstrated. So it is important for, for uh, as I said, for instance, for biomedical application oriented to rehabilitation. So if you can control the stiffness, then th there are lots of applications in virtual reality where you might be able to, sure. to use this as a display. You're right, yeah. you're right. Uh, but maybe not, not, al not always. Uh, for instance, imagine about vibration damping in vehicles. That there are many activities going on, especially in Germany, uh, where there are a lot of car manufacturers interested in using this technology for vibration damping in cars for instance. So if you can control the stiffness, let's, let's say of uh, uh, the, 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 the some in parts of the interior of the car, someone is even thinking about something more challenging, maybe the, the motor itself, and you can really damp vibration. This can be useful for the vehicle, but also for the passengers in order to make the travel smoother. By the way, this is work in progress. Yeah. And can you give me an example of, of where you might use this material to yeah. display something that, 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 that I might feel on the skin, which would, yeah, uh, and, and to represent the, or to change the property of that surface that I experience through touch, through haptic. Yeah, so you're talking about haptic devices. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's another uh, interesting area uh, where there is a significant potential. For instance, we are developing uh, a braille display so a display, a tactile display for the blind people. Um, the state of the art of this display is the following. Basically, you have some dots, plastic dots, uh, which, goes up, which go up and down and form the braille character. So the braille code for the blind people. And um, the unit braille cell consists of eight dots. By changing the status of these eight dots, different combinations provide different characters. So in these devices, the state-of-the-art devices are driven by cantilever-like piezoelectric actuators, which are very long, let's say a long rigid shaft, which uh, pull, push these dots up and down. And the problem is that the, the encumbrance of these devices is very high. They are very bulky. So you cannot today implement more than two, than two reading rows because of the, the volume constraint. That's it. So uh, Braille displays as a full page uh, representation of the Braille code are not achievable today with the state-of-the-art technology. So in order to overcome this limitation, let's say try to develop a sort of electronic book for the blind people, as we have in the tablet nowadays, uh, you really need something, a technology really more compact. And for instance, we are, we are developing now with, with, with the help of a company, we are developing some small dots, braille dots, and each dot itself is, is both the actuator and the braille dot. So we have tiny bubbles that goes up and down, and we hope that we will be able to demonstrate 
uh, a new braille display soon. And you could imagine, uh, as a generalization of that, that you could take uh, surfaces and you could change in real time their haptic the properties. Texture. So you could, yes, you, know, yes. you could take something that's smooth and it could become yes. ribbed. Yes. And there could be all sorts yes. of interesting yes. applications yes. for that. A group, the, the fathers of this technology in the US from the Stanford Research Institute, some years ago have already demonstrated some prototype with texture changes, uh, changing surfaces. So using this concept. Well, not, not exactly this concept, but something close. But by the way, using this technology. So in, in the future, you might imagine uh, something that was like a sheet, yeah. which would deform itself to form a tactile picture yeah. of an object. That is a dream, but it is realistically achievable from our point of view. It is a matter of trying to miniaturize and you know the technology, improve the resolution, uh, but it is technically feasible. Uh, I would like to add uh, a comment about other possible areas. We said mechatronics. Uh, another big area is energy harvesting because... So this would be where you drive it in reverse? Exactly, yeah. in reverse. You can generate electricity by harvesting mechanical energy from the exterior. So if you deform this material when they are electrically charged and then you release uh, the force that you have applied to the material to deform them, then the electrical charge stored in the material uh, um, increases the electrical energy. This can be easily demonstrated with calculation, but also with experimental test. So basically, you convert the input mechanical energy into output electrical energy. And for instance, there are a lot of studies nowadays and also experimental tests to harvest the mechanical energy from the ocean waves. So this is it's, it's not too different from an existing electric dynamo, presumably. Exactly. So Somehow the concept is the same, yeah. but the, the, the principle of operation is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is very useful nowadays because, you know, the, we all know that worldwide energy consumption is increasing. We need renewable um, energy sources. And for instance, if we imagine uh, the sea waves are an enormous uh, provider of uh, free energy. It is just a matter of finding the really the best technologies able to harvest this mechanical mechanical energy. Similarly, we can harvest energy from the wind so using the same technology. Is the idea that this would be more energy efficient, and that's largely a, a I would say for sure that will be much more cost effective because you can produce very large surfaces at low cost. And this is not feasible with any other technology because this technology is polymer based and polymer are very um, cost effective material. Uh, so this is a great advantage. Moreover, they work nicely at low frequencies, especially at low frequencies. So they are um, nicely um, uh, complementary to conventional technologies based, for instance, on piezoelectric energy harvester, which nicely work at resonance at higher frequencies. So this is an interest, another interesting field. So that, uh, another thing that you were mentioning is that you're taking biological inspiration from another place, which is from how uh, humans uh, use their eyes. So exactly. Optics, tunable right. optics is uh, the last uh, really emerging field of application. And uh, we are quite happy because we have recently demonstrated the first tunable lens uh, inspired to the architecture 
of the crystalline lens in our human eye. So basically in our eye we have a lens which is uh, deformed by the action of some muscles which are called ciliary muscle which basically uh, st uh, stretch and release uh, the crystalline lens in order to shape its um, uh, curvature and then in order to shape to, to change uh, the focus the so the, the lens is a bit like a, a soft ball that you exactly. can pull it one that direction, make it, it flatter, exactly. and squash it and make it more spherical. Exactly. And yeah. we have some dedicated muscle for this action in our human eye. Um, similarly, we have produced um, uh, two membranes filled with a fluid, surrounded by one of these dielectric elastomer actuators. Uh, everything has been developed in our lab. And the, the actuator, as a real artificial muscle, is able to deform the lens radially, so to change the focus. And we have demonstrated, as you have seen, uh, this cool, also live, I have brought a demo. You have seen how nicely it is able to, to really change the focus. So we expect that this uh, biomimetic approach will really provide uh, some new capabilities to tunable lenses in order to make them really compact, uh, lightweight, again, uh, power efficient and very cheap at the same time. And could you imagine a, a future prosthetic eye which was using this that's what That's our dream, actually. Yeah. We are working for, for a prosthetic eye based on this technology. So yeah. all these prosthetics sound amazing, but one thing that I've heard about these yeah. EAPs yes. is that you have to put an enormous voltage Yes. across the surface and that yeah, right. sounds quite terrifying yes if it is terrifying but the if you don't know the full story let yeah. me let me make a remark on that it is true that you need high voltages today in the order of one kilovolt uh, because we have materials that are completely not optimized for this purpose nowadays we use some for instance silicones which have been developed by industry for other purpose, purposes so these materials do not have um, specific electrical properties tailored for this application. In particular, they do not have high dielectric constant. And the higher is the dielectric constant, the lower is the, the electric field that you have to apply. And so the lower is the voltage that you have to apply. So this is a problem related to material science that is now faced by several groups because it is really evident that if we want to reduce the driving voltage, we have to increase the dielectric constant. Uh, on the technological side, however, we can still play with available off-the-shelf material by simply uh, manufacturing thin layers. The thinner is the layer, the lower is the voltage that you have to apply because the important parameter, the important variable, is the electric field, which is the ratio between the applied voltage and the thickness of the layer. So lower thickness, lower voltages. And in principle, but also in practice, you can drive these materials uh, with voltages of the order of 100 volts. This has been already demonstrated by many groups. So this is not a major issue for the future. But, That's but will it require special ways of manufacturing to make these things? Yes, so um, producing, uh, sorry, using voltages of the order of one vo 100 volt, which is the same order of magneto piezoelectrics, is not so uh, dramatically difficult. It can be done 
even by university lab, not only by companies. The problem is that if you want to drive them at 10 volts, that is really challenging because you need one, an order of one micron thick film, which is challenging with this material because they are extremely soft. So in the long future, uh, certainly this is the direction to be faced, but we still have to see, uh, I mean, the real possibilities from that point of view. But I have to remark that it is true that this can be a challenge, but not a critical point from a technical standpoint, because you can easily produce these high voltages with very compact uh, multipliers. I mean, very compact, I say a few millimeter cube, cube millimeters. So very, very simple electronic components can generate these high voltages because you don't need high current. And this is the key point. You need to drive this technology with high voltages, but you not, don't need to supply high current because these loads are capacitive loads. So they do not absorb high current like a resistive load. And this is a winning point. So even if you get a shock of this, it won't kill yeah. you. Yeah, even if you get a shock, it is complete. It is unpleasant, like a shock that you get from your car, but it is not dangerous. That, that's, a, that's, that's very important. And that's why, for instance, I mentioned before, uh, a big company has been able to deliver on the market the first portable application for a mobile phone. This, is, this has been possible because the current that you have to supply is small, so you can simply use a, a battery, like our, uh, the battery used in our cell phone today. Uh, it is not dangerous. So, I mean, it is allowed for commercial product to play at one kilovolt with no risk. So it is true that maybe for the man of the street, <laughs> this can be a scary factor, but actually it is not a technical problem nowadays. So we'll be carrying around these things in our pockets at oh, yeah. one kilovolt yes. and they won't be able to do Oh us yes, if you, if you go to the market tomorrow, yeah. you still can buy, you already can buy okay. one of those mobile phones. So you will have one kilovolt in your pocket. So in 10 years time, yeah. What do you predict? Uh, what's one of your predictions as to a device that I will be using perhaps every day? Oh, I, I predict there will be really an explosion of this technology because okay. I've seen that from the last 10 years. 10 years ago, the first paper on science, on the fundamental of this technology was published, really 10 years ago. In 10 years, we have achieved the first industrial product in a mobile phone and 10 years for a new technology are really nothing. So it means that the technology is really promising, is really uh, suitable for great developments. And I expect that the next 10 years will, will provide a great evidence of the importance of this technology. And if, if there was a specific technology that you could mention that, that you'd be really excited about yeah. having in 10 years time. What would that be that would use this? I mean, the specific product? Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure, optical devices and haptic devices will be the major, uh, the major fields of application. So, for instance, tunable lenses and tactile, vibrotactile devices will have a great, great role. So... When you say a, a vibro-tactile device, yeah. you're thinking of something like the Nintendo Wii controller, which now uh, buzzes in your hand. 
mm-hmm. when you're playing a game. For instance, this in, is the in, current application. So in 10 yeah. years' time, yeah. what will that be doing, that, that vibrotactile device? Well, as a biomedical engineer, I have a dream. I hope that in 10 years, at least some of our efforts will, be, will have been useful for the blind people. This is right. my, my greatest wish because we will really enable something which is not possible today. So a great advantage for, 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 for the blind people. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks very much for talking to us. Thank really you. interesting. Thanks. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomedics and Biohybrid Systems, a project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Programme. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.